0: Hi, you have reached the coffee celebration with Wendy Steinberg. Today, our guest is from Hamilton, Ontario, and I hope I pronounce your name right. It's Anthony Frazina. Is that right?
1: You nailed it. Right on. Oh my
0: gosh, I'm a rock star. You are. I I cannot even tell you. I don't know if Anthony found me because he doesn't sleep because he's so active in his community or he lives off coffee, which I do, um, or both. But um, I'm looking at everything that you do, and I feel like I'm a slacker. I am in awe of your community involvement, what you do. And so I'm going to just hand it over to you. If you can introduce yourself a little bit and tell me, tell everybody who's going to be listening to this, what you do, how you got involved, how you created a culture of inclusivity. And I'm really excited to hear about it.
1: Well, thank you so much, Wendy. Um, I'm excited to be here. Uh, My name is Anthony from Hamilton, Ontario, Canada, and I founded a brand called Above and Beyond Bridging the Gap to Accessibility and Inclusion. It started based on a local TV uh, station, giving me the opportunity to... Oh, she's taking notes. (laughs) Guilty! Okay. So it started as a local TV uh, show on local TV cable. Uh, from Cable 14 here in Hamilton, and entitled the same name, Above and Beyond, and it really just escalated from there. From the first episode that aired, uh, you know, after going through the process of being awarded the show and then producing the show and getting all the particulars done from setting up the the um, the pilot episode, it really just went from there. I started as a producer behind the scenes, co-host, and then host, and when the, the pilot aired from the uh, from when the pilot aired to when the first uh, season aired where i was producer the reaction was just something i couldn't could believe and it just skyrocketed from there uh, i've always been active and involved with accessibility and inclusion of myself i identify as members, uh, as a member of the disability community uh, over 1.1 billion people worldwide identify as members of the disability community. And it's time for a culture change, you know, for yeah. mental, systemic, and culture change uh, all over the world. And for me, it's always been, you know, not being content with the life I have based on disability, but wanting to amplify and include people's with disabilities within everyday life. You know, we often... Uh, talk about this progression but it comes at a snail's pace yeah. and we do need to work together uh, as allies to create what I call uh, collective prosperity. Wow
0: okay so above and beyond what does that do? It's on TV?
1: So it started as a TV show okay continues to this day um, we'll be producing segments uh, in the new year uh, I'm going to be starting a podcast in the new year under the same name. Uh, I'm an author of above and beyond my, which is my memoir. Uh, I've written my memoir, um, actually, um, uniquely cause I've written it with every chapter, uh, at the beginning includes a quote to kind of get the reader set up for what the chapter is about. Um, and it's, they're all short stories. You know, I want to keep the reader engaged uh, into aspects of my life that will really help see what we talk about a future of accessibility and inclusion. And so I, I, that was uh, done this year. Uh, it's been available on Amazon through um, since February. And, you know, I've just been doing a lot more speaking engagements worldwide. The fact that we're now in COVID has, you um, allowed for a virtual stage and really has been a benefit um, for people with disabilities to whether it be employment whether it be uh just being able to connect with people um to have this virtual moment that we are like we're having right now
0: that's amazing um you also i'm looking at your facebook page okay but you work at McMaster University, but yeah. then you have all of these other um, things you're engaged with, with, dis- with the Ontario Disability Coalition, PATH Employment Services, Catholic Children's Aid Society, like that. you seriously don't sleep. And um, this is incredible. And you wrote a book, you look awfully young to have a <laughs> memoir. I'm thinking, you know, I think it's our generation. Sometimes we think, oh, you need to be like, um, I don't know, Cloris Leachman to have a memoir or something, you know, that, that, you know, you know, in your age range, but you're incredibly busy. Um, I know for myself, I was really excited for you to come on and I, and I wanted to get to know you. My brother was Mm -hmm. born with muscular dystrophy. And he's no longer here. He had passed away and um, he walked, you know, back then in the late sixties, early seventies, there wasn't a clear picture of what someone living with muscular dystrophy looked like. And so he was able to live until he was 33. Um, And my father became a paraplegic when I was a teenager. And I have a son who's autistic with an intellectual disability. So there's lots of different experiences that I've had, um, not necessarily from a person living with a disability, but an advocate for people with disabilities. And the work you're doing is absolutely incredible. Um, Like, how did you get involved with all of this? I mean, this is a lot of stuff, a lot of stuff.
1: I'm a person with a disability myself. I was born with spina bifida and hydrocephalus. I used to be able to walk with the use of a cane and subsequently digressing to the point where at age 12, in 1992, I had a surgery with a success rate of 40%. It left me using a wheelchair then on after, but uh, it was never a negative. You know, it's the upbringing of my family, uh, their support and my friends around me. I was never treated as Anthony, the guy in the wheelchair. I was Anthony, the person. And that gave me a confidence and a uh, a a feeling to just of gratitude and you know and I felt as I continued to grow um, the involvement within my community it was just it it was natural for me to give back so when you talked about PATH and um, the Catholic Children's Aid Society you know I'm on their board of directors as well um, as well as working at McMaster University and Mohawk College in Hamilton and
0: What do you do there, Anthony? What do you do there?
1: So from Mohawk College, I am a customer service assistant. And, you know, we're working remotely right now. And at uh, McMaster University, I am a standardized patient, which means um, I get to uh, be part of an act with um, medical students who are learning the ropes, so to speak, and and, you know require uh, support from the community. So I get to do those jobs as well as my own brand. And like I said, like just, you know, this is not a nine to five for me. This is a 24-7, 365. You know, with lived experience comes gratitude for, you know, where I am, what I've accomplished. I was recently named a member of the Order of Hamilton uh, this earlier this year, and then a Alumni of Distinction at Mohawk College where I graduated as well. So, um, like I said, I just, You know, I love what I do. I love the community around me. I love the support that I've been given. And given this platform of of virtual, I've been able to um, expand that, you know, to a more global scale. Um, And for who I am, you know, it's it's really attributed to the allies around me, the community around me that really embraced me as Anthony the person. You know, I learned of a sense of belonging, uh, of inclusion um, when I was eight years old. I went to this camp that wasn't for kids with disabilities, but it included kids with disabilities. And that's a big difference. And I'd met the, uh, an individual who is now the executive director of that organization. His name was John. He said, to me, he said basically, hi, my name is John, welcome to camp. And that gave me the confidence and the courage to, to just be me, you know? And in 1988, you know, we, we made a lot of things work you know, it wasn't, uh, things are not as, um, fast forward as they are now, but, you know, we had to, um, just kind of modify things and kind of like, you know, take what we had, you know, so I was, uh, at times wheeled around in a wheelbarrow. I mean, obviously not socially acceptable now, but you know, it's, it was something that at the time was fun. Um, but, uh, we made it work and Uh, And, you know, I was okay with it, but, you know, going forward, you know, as I continue to go from childhood to manhood, you know, I really felt empowered, you know, I felt that the semblance of gratitude, you know, for how I've evolved. And, you know, that's why I like to give back to families and to kids as well. I volunteer at an organization pre-COVID where it's with kids with disabilities who are cheerleaders. So, I volunteer with them as being a cheerleader as well with them. And I get to meet the families and I get to talk to the kids. I get to empower the kids. And I absolutely love that. You know, a lot of them, um, different, all different disabilities, uh, visible and invisible. But just, just seeing the smiles on their faces really is, is enough for me. You know, I mean, part of me is really, well, all of me is really about allyship and community, and and I don't mean just community within my local community, but I mean, the community of disability. So when I have these uh, speaking engagements that people will hire me for, um, I created what I call the MICE Principles, and that's not M-I-C-E, that's M-I-I-C-E-E, which stands for motivation, innovation, inspiration, celebration, education, and, empowerment. and, you know, I, I like to give that message to whatever type of community that I'm speaking to, whether it's uh, a business, whether it's an, an assembly, whether it's an organization, because at the end of the day, we're all people first and we need societies to adapt to all different communities so that we could all belong. And that's the ultimate uh, uh, goal. Mm -hmm. but I don't tell perfection. I celebrate progression and with progression is momentum and without momentum, it's procrastination, you know? And, and this is really why I have my foot on the gas to go hard because, you know, you have to, at times when it is needed, ruffle a few feathers to get your point across. I mean, there's also this catch 22 where if you're going to a place that's not really wheelchair accessible or accessible for that matter. Well, you'll hear them say, well, nobody with a disability comes here. Well, because you're not accessible. You know, it's, it's if you build it, they will come. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, and you have to be proactive. And more often than not, we are reactive in our approach to disability inclusion. We need what I call a disability inclusion revolution, where disability is at the forefront of conversation to a call to action rather than an afterthought. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah. Um, Okay, I've taken many, many notes because (laughs) I love it. Um, You know, you speak the truth here with invisible disability versus visible. Um, I know there, and and that really does need to be recognized and I'm so glad you mentioned it um, because I work at a college myself And, um, you know, I have students sit at my desk and, you know, they have test anxiety, they have ADHD, they have, um, there's so many things that you can't see, even um, food insecurity, poverty, things like this that really affect who they are. Um, And it's true, like, I mean, you could see my son who's 18, almost 19, who he's, he's autistic with an intellectual disability. He's functional. I mean, he can do things, but um, is he inclusive? Uh, included? Excuse me. I'm not sure. Um, he goes to a special school. Um, he had the same experience you did at a camp, where we put him in a typical typical camp and they raised the bar for him. And, you know, he never jumped off a diving board before, and the whole camp cheered him on. And so as a mom of someone who has some limitations, I mean, if you would see my Max, you would know, but, um, you know, hearing you celebrate it, and be at the forefront of trying to educate so many people. um, I know, as a mom, it's, it's, you know, very refreshing. And it gives me, I guess, some sort of peace because I'm like, moms can't do it all, you know, and, and we advocate for our own kids and it's really hard. But you mentioned in your community, have you had to work with the city government to make things more accessible, like sidewalks or buses or buildings or anything like that?
1: I mean, yeah, I am on our city's advisory committee for persons with disabilities, too. Oh, my God. Um, <laughs> and I sleep between 1 a.m. and 2 a.m. Oh, basically, my goodness. <laughs> basically. And you know what? And, again, it's really about educating Education is key. Um, and, you know, we far too often get the pushback, well, how much is it going to cost? You know, and and that really... in in some way, shape, or form, uh, really kind of poses the barrier. You know, the disability community in Hamilton is greater than the provincial and national averages. So our, we have the highest population in our city, uh, out in the whole country. So, again, it's about being uh, proactive rather than reactive. I always say that in life, there are no problems, only solutions waiting to be found. It's often getting those to listen to us. Mm -hmm. Further to that, hear us, and a call to action that needs to take place without hesitation. Uh, And that's, and when we when we are met with hesitancy, when we were met by the pushback, Mm -hmm. and then that's what procrastinates the long term goal. You know, I always think accessibility and inclusion uh, will never reach the summit, but as long as we progress because I don't think there is a summit when it comes to accessibility and inclusion, because it's always evolving. Uh, There's always um, something to be done. There's always an innovative way to structure something to make it more accessible and more inclusive. Uh, And really my goal is legacy. When I'm done on this earth, and I want my goal and my legacy to be that I've left this earth more accessible and more inclusive for the next generation to enjoy. Once I have that in my head, uh, once I have that uh, peace of mind, I know that you know, I've, I've done my job in terms of, for the next generation.
0: Do you think now, obviously technology is always improving. Um, I remember when my father became a paraplegic in 1987, and then he didn't pass away until 2012 between that 24 year span, his wheelchair became, it was like beyond, right? It changed in so many ways, Um, more aerodynamic, lighter, the way he could transfer to his board and off his board and in his car and all of this stuff, it was just phenomenal. Do you see um, a change in technology for people who are living with disabilities?
1: Absolutely. It's, it's always evolving. And that's what's really cool about it. Um, you know, whether it be like technology for uh, people with disabilities that require like a screen reader, for example, other assistive tech technologies for computers, um, whether it be like a robotic technology, even the use of common technologies like Google Home, Alexa. Um, I didn't think are, of that. Even those are assistive technologies like my entire condo is linked to google home so i can turn on on the and off the lights with a voice i can activate my vacuum with a voice i can activate my air conditioner with a voice um and i even have a uh, pad um a number pad uh mechanism for my condo to let myself in so i'm not wrestling with keys all of that has really changed my life And there's still more to be done, even um, Apple watches or or smartwatches, for example, they now have a wheelchair or an accessible function to them. So if you're doing a workout, for example, or doing like wheeling as opposed to walking, they can track that now, too.
0: Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. This is amazing.
1: So. Oh, my goodness. It's totally evolving. And we need to, like I said, it's about momentum. Yeah. Shifting the momentum, you know, in the workplace, you know, there's all, there's all this important talk about EDI, equity, diversity, and inclusion. Uh There's something missing, you know, equity, sorry, access is typically hidden under the equity umbrella. But those are two
0: different things.
1: Bingo. So we need to extrapolate access under the equity umbrella. If you transpose the letters, you have idea inclusion, diversity, equity, and access. So that's my go-to when I have a conversation with a business to help make it more accessible for a customer or an employee. People with disabilities are employable once the accommodations are in place. 90% of accommodations for, to hire a person with a disability cost $500 or less. That's a drop in the bucket right. for many businesses.
0: Then why it's is about- there this pushback about funding or a expense? Like, where's that coming from then?
1: It's 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 the myth that's being uh, portrayed out there, where hiring people with disabilities is a perceived burden. It's not a burden. It's an opportunity. It's a good business practice to hire a person with a disability, um, whether it be visible or invisible. I've been in my job at uh, the college now for 14 years. No, 16 years now. And, uh, and I was a graduate of the college as well. I just, I just never left um, because, I, you know, I appreciate the people, appreciate the, the surrounding and the community as treating me as Anthony the person rather than Anthony the guy at the wheelchair, not, not putting perceived limits on me, letting me flow, letting me do things my way. Yeah. And, you know, even kind of surprising certain people yeah. by, you know, getting things done a different way but accomplishing my tasks you know, whether it be large or small.
0: Are you a mentor then for students on your campus, um, both with invisible and visible disabilities? Do they see you as someone that they can go to and, you know, feel a sense of belonging with because they know that you've had to kind of pave your own way as well?
1: I mean, it's not necessarily just the college. I mean, it's in the community at large you know, whether it be volunteering at an event here or being a member uh, of the committee for the forward movement, which is in the U.S., it's uh, it's called the Accessible Icon Project. So I don't know if you're familiar with that.
0: I'm not. Please explain everything you do. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I well,
0: love it. Go, go, go.
1: The Accessible Icon Project in the U.S. is called the Forward Movement in Canada. Okay. Basically, it's the... Uh, transition of, you know, the wheelchair symbol that is typically around areas. That's a stagnant uh, picture of a individual portrayed sitting in a wheelchair. Yes. Where the dynamic symbol or the accessible icon is a image of a person who uses a wheelchair. And notice the way I, I, I worded that. Yes. Person who uses a wheelchair uh, pushing forward as opposed to the stagnancy of it. And that's a momentum piece. So they, they're painted on parking lots. They're painted uh, on various- The uh, car placards too, right? Like- they're, they're, We're getting the car placards done. So my city in Hamilton has adopted it. Uh, I'm not quite sure about uh, your city. I know Arizona has adopted it. I know places in Florida has adopted it. New York, uh, Arizona. Massachusetts, uh, I believe in some cities have adopted it It's been adopted by city by city mm-hmm. and and again it's momentum it's changing the game the way we look at accessibility on, in inclusion you know as I said earlier we, we think reactively rather than proactively uh, we think about if we think proactively it's a cost saver rather than a cost uh, um the added cost because the according to the Rick Hansen Foundation in Canada, the cost to create a building that is accessible from scratch is only one percent more of the cost to the actual building rather than retrofitting accessibility into a current into a building that costs is significantly more.
0: Have you visited, have you, okay, do you speak in the United States then? I mean, pre-COVID, because you must be so disappointed at some of our buildings and cities that um, just don't meet the mark. You know what I'm saying?
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I've started to, to engage my speaking outside of uh, Canada, uh, more so creating the Above and Beyond brand to do yeah. all the added levels of what I continue to do. But um, yeah, you know what? It's, it is fair to say that it's been a disappointment, but you know, I'm optimistic. I'm really optimistic, but it takes change makers uh, within the cities that they reside in. You know, me personally, I, I only do so much or I can only do so much, but the fact that we're now virtual allows me to do more, but I need allies worldwide to help create that uh, fundamental systemic and culture change within your cities to to talk to the local governments, to talk to local businesses, to talk to many members of the community. Because advocacy and inclusion is a win for everybody. It it creates collective prosperity. Um, You know, you talked about earlier, many people with disabilities live at or below the poverty line. And that's true because... There's this misconception or this myth because people with disabilities can't get jobs. You know, we're often uh, secluded by the fact that all the you, well, I'll speak for here, here in, in Canada, that, you know, we have to wait for, you know, medication, which has an added cost. We have to wait for a mobility device if we need it. You know, that impedes our quality of life and our activities of daily living. So we're often kind of set back by those uh, systems barriers. Whereas if things were more available on demand, uh, we're able to dictate the quality of life that we want to have rather than being gatekept by societies that deem us inferior to the able-bodied community. Exactly. I
0: could not agree more. I could not agree more. Um, you know, I worry as a mom for my son, He is in the United States. He's going to graduate this year from high school, but he can stay until he's 22. Okay. That's just kind of part of the dynamic here in Ohio. And, you know, I don't, I don't know how he's going to be embraced for employment. Um, Right now, the focus is on a vocation, you know, stuffing envelopes or um, running errands at the children's hospital. Very menial, limited scope for somebody who we don't even know what he knows, you know? And, you know, he's already been limited by his diagnosis and now he's gonna be limited again by his um, employment options. And you're just spot on, like, It's so discouraging. I know from a familial viewpoint that, you know, my son might not be able to have the same um, opportunities as other people, um, but he just won't be embraced the same way. And it's just, it's sad. It really is sad.
1: You're absolutely right. The attitudinal barriers and the educational barriers are the toughest barriers to break through. And, you know, it's, it's like I said, about being proactive. Show what you can do before they assume what you can't. Right. You know? Can and I
0: ask you, I don't mean, to, I'm sorry, but like when you talk about education, what's it like in Canada? Like I have no knowledge of the Canadian system at all. Um, I just know um, you're like, oh, Canada song and I don't sing it very well. Um, but you know, what, like when you were growing up, when you went to college, like, were you put in a specific, like my brother having muscular dystrophy, he was put in what we called LD classes, learning disability classes, and he really didn't need them, but that's just kind of the way, the path that he was pushed into. What's it like in Canada? Like, are kids given that kind of... Um, You know, you're talking proactive and optimistic, and you're talking all this good, juicy stuff. But, like, are they given that opportunity from the get go?
1: I mean, for me, I, you know, I graduated through regular classes and programming. Uh, You know, I, you know, I have had lifelong friends that have stuck by me since day one through adversity and through championing certain events. But, um, you know, it's challenging to say the least, but. You know, as I grew up through elementary school, the accessibility wasn't uh, what it is now. Yeah. So there was some challenges. You know, I went to a school that had stairs and just transitioning to using a wheelchair was a challenge without an elevator. So back in the day, they had a, uh, what they used, a a crawler. So basically this device attached to the wheelchair in which a, the custodian would, um, use this crawler to help me up and down the stairs um but you know now we've evolved you know we there's garavanta lifts there's elevators now there's more inclusion um etc but you know it's it's something that continues to grow and it continues to um require more education um how can we be accessible how can we be more inclusive uh, my friend uh, named Rich Padulo has created a program under the concept of Halloween. It's called Treat Accessibly, you know? Oh, I see that light.
0: Like, oh my things. gosh, I love it all. Okay, keep talking. Oh my gosh. So,
1: so Treat Accessibly is a mission and vision to educate uh, and include people, dis- uh, kids with disabilities during Halloween. So that means setting up your your candy station, whether it be in a garage or on the edge of a driveway or on a sidewalk, so you're avoiding stairs. You know, being cognizant of loud noises, being cognizant of lights, that may be a trigger to certain disabilities. Uh, So we've educated uh, people, North America, and there's also now a, a school program that is involved with Treat Accessibly to help create that change. Because even involving kids, kids are um, our greatest allies because you know, there's less of a filter, let's say. And you know what, and that's important because questions lead to answers, answers lead to conversation, conversation to understanding and understanding to less ignorance. So when we can have that uh, quality conversation, Um, At the grassroots level, or even as we continue to grow, we are making that change together, but it involves allies. It's not just the disability community. The disability community knows what the disability community knows. It's about building relationships and allyships with those who have an affiliation to disability, or more so even those who don't have an affiliation to disability. Mm-hmm. who want to be involved in the change that really needs to happen. Oh
0: my gosh. So you've said in your community that there is a high population of people who are living with disabilities. Yeah. Is that right? Okay. I heard that right. So is it difficult then within your government, in your town then to have, to be that change maker? I see that you're very active in your community and, um, working many, many jobs and volunteering um, nonstop, um, because I know here for myself in Ohio, it is hard to um, get anything changed. There's such a, a long process and protocol to get even the little bit of funding that we can get. It's it's It can be discouraging, but Do you find success easily or what is that like?
1: You know, when I first started this, I was thinking to myself, oh yeah, we'll make this change quickly. We'll make this change quickly. But, you know, as I continue to grow, I, I realize the process, uh, doesn't happen overnight. It's, it does involve a lot of conversations. It does involve a lot of, uh, understanding of disability, you know, often lived experience, doesn't get the respect that it deserves and and that's the problem and you know what you know you have change makers and changes happening Mm -hmm. that result in change needing to be overdone which creates an additional cost which creates an additional barrier and and things kind of get pushed to the wayside yeah even this pandemic has caused a lot of uh, havoc for people with disabilities, whether it be you know the isolation, whether it be um the inability to do things you know that anybody else would do like our our qualities uh of life was has been altered yeah. you know and, you know whether it be access to pub- uh, public or paratransit, how uh, uh the system is flawed there. Um, You know, going into a building and being able to access everything in the building that that building provides. Mm -hmm. That's also been a barrier. Um, Getting properly, proper education. uh, That's also been a barrier because, you know, you shift to online. Whereas, you know, many people with disabilities do require that in-person learning. You know, can't necessarily or can't necessarily learn online and require that in-person experience.
0: I didn't even think of that. See? I didn't even think of that, you know, I mean, I know from a standpoint for the students at, you know, the college I work at that, you know, some of them didn't even have computers and within a matter of days, they were expected to go online and, you know, I, you don't realize that that in-person connection is a social and educational piece that a lot of people rely on. so how, how was your community able to check in with the, the people that you serve?
1: So, and, you know, and that's been um, a struggle. Like, I mean, when you look at it from the standpoint of the lack of social activities or the diminishing social activities, we are now in like another lockdown uh, in Hamilton with uh, COVID and the Omicron va- uh, cases rising again. So we're shutting things down, and things are changing by the hour, it it seems like. So you know, and even having that as part of the, you know, the thing that people with disabilities face is only an an additional barrier. And you know, it's 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 difficult. I mean, it's because you you know people are better in person learners. I mean, even having access to the equipment, like you talked yeah. about, yeah. you know, you're expected to get like a thousand dollar computer, you know, many people with disabilities live at or below the poverty line. Right. And that's even low. And even the cost of living going up, you know, the cost of goods and services going up, oh all God. the additional costs to live as a person with disability, whether it be medication, whether it be assisted devices, all of that factors in to, um, a person with a disability life, yeah. you know, and it's often gatekept by society. And, you know, everything requires a process which ultimately procrastinates against the quality of life for that person living with a disability because there's that waiting period. There's this paperwork to sign. You know, you got to go through this process, this protocol, this window. And then, you know, it takes an um, uh, inordinate amount of time. Um, For me, I'll give you an example. Uh, I just got my new wheelchair uh, a few weeks ago. What does it look like? What
0: kind is it?
1: It's black and yellow. It's a sport chair.
0: Yeah. Uh, Is it aerodynamic?
1: It is. It's a sport chair. Um, But it took me eight years to get it. What? Yeah. You know, it's the initial chair that I got wasn't. Uh, what I'd hoped it would be it caused me a lot of pain, a lot of discomfort. And that's another thing too, uh, pain management and dealing with the everyday stressors of being a member of the disability community and being able to function and focus uh, on your job or at your, or in your community, et cetera. Like um, for me, I'm a, I'm an avid sports fan. I'm i I'm a CFL fan, Canadian football league fan. And, you know, so you're saying from your, uh, you're saying uh being from Ohio, we just uh, played in the Great Cup, which is our our national championship game. The team uh, that I that I root for, the Hamilton Tiger Cats, and we lost the game to the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. Aww. And the quarterback for the Winnipeg Blue Bombers is from Ohio, Steubenville, Ohio. I don't know if you're. From-
0: <laughs> yes, that's kind of in the north. I'm I'm okay. in the south part of Ohio.
1: Oh, okay, okay. Wow. So you know. And we, we met him after the the gray cup game. And, uh, cause he used to play for, uh, the Hamilton tiger cats and my girlfriend and I, we just had a conversation with him, but, uh, even, uh, you know, like even kind of getting navigating that through the pandemic with the crowd, et cetera, was, um, yeah. challenging to say the least. And, uh, Um, I just wanted to bring up the quarterback with the connection to Ohio, so.
0: (laughs) That's great. No, but you bring up, Anthony, you bring up such a good point. I remember my dad, the back pain, the tush pain, like the actual seat of his wheelchair, they had to replace that so that, um, now obviously he was much older than you, but I, I just remember that the technology of getting, something with his seat in the back of the chair so that it supports him and it doesn't you know I mean even for someone who doesn't have a physical disability to sit in a chair for eight hours is painful we're able to get up we're able to walk to the bathroom or get a cup of coffee or whatever we're able to do but for people in wheelchairs I mean, you wield yourself there, but you're still in the chair. There has to be something comfortable and supportive so that you're not in pain.
1: Oh, absolutely. And you know what, that's, that's the ultimate struggle for me, you know, because I'm at my computer 24 seven, pretty much, whether it be something for my business or, you know, working, et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, and it's, it really comes down to an exact science and getting things just right. And, just because things uh, are okay on one day doesn't mean they're okay the next. And you know what? It's okay to not be okay. It's okay to, uh, um, you know, resonate with those feelings. It's okay Mm -hmm. to uh, acknowledge that. And, you know, I'm lucky to be in an environment where uh, my community respects me, where my community understands that, you know, if I'm having a quote unquote bad day, they, they get it. And and, you know, there's often this, like, thought process where, you know, as a member of the disability community, you want to do more, and you want to continue to push, you want to continue to push to, to just to be, quote, unquote, on a level playing field with the non-disabled community, you know, and, and that's the, it's an, an ultimate myth that, I, you know, I'd like to dispel, because really, you can just be the quality you that you represent in your community, and that's, and that's truly what it's about, and, and, and again, for me, like, it's, it's such a passion and it's such an important piece of the puzzle to treat people as people, to treat people with respect. You know, I say anybody can cash a paycheck every two weeks, but it's much harder to earn respect, let alone somebody as, with the, as a member of the disability community to earn respect um, because there's all, all these preconceived notions or assumptions based on disability. And like I said earlier, It's about showing what you can do before they perceive what you can't, you know, it, 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 it takes the ultimate shock bubble, so to speak to, to kind of get that message out there. It takes that uh, semblance of um, cracking through the the glass to break through uh, accomplishing a task, large or small, rather than the steps it takes to complete it. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, there are accommodations that are necessary um, to do this. And, you know, employers, uh, community members have to be cognizant of that. Something so simple as to a ramp, if you have a storefront that has a step. Not only is it simple, and not only does it affect the disability community, but it also affects parents with young kids who use a stroller.
0: It's incredible. It's it's so true. Do you, can I just backtrack? Like, why did it take eight years to get? Like, did they have to go to Mars to get the metal? Like, where did they go to get the the equipment to build this this wheelchair? Was it insurance? Because there's so much challenge with insurance, like you were saying, to get things approved whether it's medication or an adaptive, even with my own son, who's 18, to try and get a weighted blanket. We've been waiting three months through the county benefits just Mm -hmm. for a weighted blanket,
1: Mm -hmm.
0: you know, and was it, was it because of insurance or does Canada have a different process?
1: Well, well, I had the chair uh, and the older chair that I had, but it, it never fit right. But so we're making modification after modification after modification. And then, you know, a a new wheelchair is granted after a five-year process. So once that five-year process uh, or five-year window uh, elapsed, I was able to apply for a new wheelchair, but you can't apply prior to those five years. You have to wait till that five-year window elapses before you can apply for a new chair and that's the problem. So then COVID hit. So then, you know, people were, um, and I say this with respect, you know, and I, and I truly do say this with respect. There was a lot of excuses going on. Yeah. You know, the disability community got left behind, whether it be, um, in homes, lack of support, um, Lack of empathy and understanding, yeah. uh, you know, using transit, using public transit, using paratransit, you know, you know, everybody has a system uh, in how they do things, whether, um, you know, that works for them. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you know, when your system, when your routine is um, hindered, yeah. you know, it takes its toll on you.
0: Oh my gosh. Yeah. Oh. I can't imagine. I, I really can't. Um, how do you, pri- let me just ask you this. Cause I know we're wrapping up our hour and I want to be obviously mindful and respectful of that, but like, how do you prioritize everything that you're involved with? I mean, you're a producer, you're an author, you're a public speaker, you have two jobs. You. Um, I I mean, I feel tired just rattling off everything because I'm like, I took a shower today, woo! you know, and here's Anthony in Canada, rocking it out, doing 15 things at a time. How do you prioritize um, what is, because you're passionate about so many things and you're, you are the, such a great voice for people who need it, but then how do you prioritize what's needed, I guess?
1: I'm also an actor as well, um, because <laughs> representation it, matters.
0: Just, oh, my gosh.
1: Representation matters. An authentic and genuine representation matters. And that's part of the above and beyond brand that I've created. Uh, hopefully soon to be podcast host. Hopefully soon to be author to a second book, a children's book about belonging. Um, you know, you know, it just... Because, you know, you have this lifestyle and this passion about it, you know, things just flow. And the community around me that supports me, uh, personally, like, within, like, my close circle, uh, really just um, just embraces what I do and empowers what I do. And that, that gives me the energy and the courage to speak up. You know, a lot of people with disabilities are meant to feel content with the life that we're given. Yes. rather than the life that we want to live. Again, that goes back to the message of being gatekept, living at or below the poverty line. You know, it's, it's, it's our lives are being controlled. You know, I mean, many people with disabilities feel, felt that control prior to the pandemic. Yeah. You know, now the pandemic hits, many people's now, lives are now feeling that they're all controlled. So we already knew this as members of the disability community. So now the rest of the world is coming back to feeling to what the disability community already know or knows. Excuse me. Um, so it's just about continuing to break through the barriers. You know, for somebody to uh, just break out and say, "Yeah, you're right. You don't deserve this. You deserve this. You deserve better. You deserve equality. Yeah. You know, you deserve to have a life that you want to live."
0: Well, you're definitely creating it. I'm like, I don't know many, um, typically what we would consider able-bodied because yeah. half the time we're glued to our iPhones or somehow in the fetal position, not taking our God-given gifts to do whatever we're supposed to be doing, but you are, and you're motivating and, um, You know, definitely a shining example of what we should all be doing. We should all be advocating. We should all be, you know, handing the torch. And, you know, you said ally is key, and it is key. I mean, like you said, uh, someone in the community, uh, the disability community cannot make a change without having that ally and advocacy from somebody who isn't disabled. And that representation that you were saying is so important. Um, It's, it's just mind boggling. And and I couldn't agree with you more that you are limited. You are kind of, what's that term pigeonholed into, well, this is what you're meant to be. You know, you're in a wheelchair, so you're lucky you're here. You know what I mean? And, you know, that just really angers me because, you know, I've seen it, you know, having had a a father in a wheelchair and I've seen it, you know, the limitations my brother went through and it's, it's exhausting. I I don't even know how, you know, but you keep pushing through, you keep saying, no, this is not right. I'm going to level up. I'm going to level up. And the fact that you're an actor, producer, an author, you're going to do another book that you work two jobs. You're showing people that, no, this, this wheelchair isn't who I am. I'm in a wheelchair, but I am so much more dynamic and phenomenal than you can even realize. It's, it's beyond.
1: It's, you know what, it's, like I said, it's, it's a passion, Mm -hmm. you know, it it stems beyond, you know, you know, wanting to be past the uh, ordinary 830 or 430 type of job. It's nine, it's 365. Yeah. uh, 27, 365. And and that's what I love doing about, uh, love what I do. I mean, I get uh, messages from the uh, the TV station who've seen my show and want to reach out to me all the time. And, they, you know, they want to have that conversation with me. They want to, you know, okay, well, so-and-so, uh, I'll, I'll just phrase it like that. But, um, you know, my, my person or my uncle or my dad or my mom or anybody, you know, just recently became disabled as a result of an accident. Yeah. You know, what services are out there? How can I you know, be more oh, helpful? God. So in, in a way it's a coaching role as well and a consulting role as well. Um, and, and disability is the only demographic with a fluctuation rate. Disability can happen to anyone at any time, yeah. whether it be uh, temporary, permanent or catastrophic. So when we think inclusion and we think of it from a proactive standpoint, it's really a win for everybody.
0: Yeah, I agree. I agree. Okay. So um, I it, when I post your podcast, I'm going to post the link to your book Above and Beyond, right? Is that what it's
1: called? It's called Above and Beyond, yes.
0: And um, are you on Instagram?
1: I am in, on Instagram. Uh, my handle is at above and beyond media
0: oh my gosh uh, it's so fancy
1: at, <laughs> <laughs> and, then, and then i am on twitter at above beyond for you which is the number for you and just letter U. Uh, my biggest uh hit is uh facebook yeah uh, at above and beyond anthony Frazina. Mm-hmm. anthony Frazina is a personal page i have a, a an author page a speaking page um
0: do you have a website, or how do people get in contact with you if they want to have you speak at their event?
1: Yeah, they can reach out to me on my website, anthonyfrazina.ca. Um, oh, my it's, God, it's, you're it's, everywhere. <laughs> it's there. It's, it's my, my website, truly, though, is in the process. But, you know, I just continue to amplify the message that I am a speaker. I am an author, and uh, I'm happy to speak at their events. I've uh, I've done a national event recently for Canada's Largest Bakery. At the lunch and learn, so I've done that one. I've done uh, Hydrocephalus Canada uh, on a national scale as well. I've done events uh, in New Zealand, in the U.S., uh, and Clubhouse is. Yeah, are you familiar with Clubhouse? The uh, the app. I, I
0: was on it. I got a little too into it. I had to back up. You know.
1: <laughs> well, I'm inviting you to join us uh, Wednesday morning, or sorry, weekday mornings at eight a.m. We have the Speaker Society Club, uh, and, you know, that's how I really continue to grow the message and who I am, so, I love you know, you're Eastern Time like me, so feel free to hop on uh, tomorrow morning oh my God. at 8 a.m., and uh, we'll, you'll see what we're all about. We're all about edifying and amplifying one another. We all come from different walks of life, no pun intended. You know, I. <laughs> I do, um, I do like to make those jokes. I do, yes. um, I do like to say standing is overrated. Um, I do kick butt at musical chairs, so nobody challenged me to that. Oh. <laughs> so oh I mean, you gotta, you gotta have some kind of like uh, downtime. You have to have some sort of like comedic relief to who we are exactly. and what you do.
0: And, and that kind of levity also creates a connection, I think, with a lot of people, um, because humor can really kind of break tension down, um, definitely. And all I can say is that, for and, and for those who will be listening to this, that Anthony is, is an inspiration. Absolutely. I'm somebody who can get up every day and do whatever I want, whenever I want. And I don't take advantage... Of half of my opportunities like he does. Um, So when I post this, I'm going to post everything you mentioned where everybody can find you. And I am delighted that you found me because, um, you know, this is a discussion that can go into several more more episodes because it's just not um, so one dimensional. It it is ever changing. Like you said, it needs to be talked about continually and brought to the surface because if not, it just goes by the wayside and nobody thinks it needs attention. And so I am delighted and inspired By our talk today, and I wish you continued success. I really do. Like if we don't see you on the Ellen show or Oprah, I don't know when we're going to see you because this is just, you know what I mean? You're laughing, but I'm going to say, I knew you when, because you have such an accurate and dynamic and positive message for everybody of all demographics that we need to hear so that we can be an ally, we can be supportive, and we can be um, people who make the change that's necessary.
1: And so I'm very grateful. Are you Thank applying you. to be my agent? Say that one more time. Are you applying to be my agent now? Oh my gosh! <laughs> oh <no>. <laughs> <laughs> but I appreciate that. Very kind. Pretty of sure you
0: could do that. You could just wipe out your sleeping from oh. one to two in the morning and do it.
1: Because
0: oh you're so busy. You know, oh my God you
1: know I'd love to be on those shows. I'd love to be amplifying the message absolutely. Ellen, Steve Harvey is another one. Oh my God, Ellen's I love him. Motivator of mine and my um, my biggest inspiration my, my mentor is Rick Hansen. He created a foundation in the uh, late 80s, early 90s after um, a pickup truck accident at the age of 17 where they were come back from a fishing trip that left him um, paralyzed, but he wheeled across 34 countries, 26 months, and over 40,000 wheel strokes from 1986 to 1988, and to create awareness for accessibility and inclusion. And he's now the founder of his foundation, the Rick Hansen Foundation. And really that's how the messaging and the speaking and the communication kind of got started through various events like that. I'd done stuff on a smaller scale prior, but really started uh, in 2005 with all yeah. his message and, and his momentum. And the quote that I that I live on through him is that if you believe in a dream and have the courage to try, anything is possible. And And for Rick to be the man that he is, to be the empowering man that he is is really amplifying and that's important oh my
0: gosh. what a great quote to leave this episode on anthony you are uh just uh, I, the first word that popped in my head is a blessing so so grateful that you found me we're going to continue this friendship and i will let you know when this posts and um I'm going to have you back on many more times before Ellen or Oprah or anyone else snags you. Okay?
1: <laughs> awesome. Thank you so much. This has been Thank an Thank you. Great. Oh
0: my gosh. You well. are a blessing as well. Oh, you're good to me. Thanks so Thank much. You. Have a good night.
1: Well.